Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. Time to talk like we haven't been talking for over an hour. <laughs> Again, this is why I don't hit record until we're actually ready to go. Very wise. <laughs> As everyone evidenced from last week's episode when we spent the first 15 minutes just cackling and falling (laughs) apart. You know what? Sometimes you just have to fall apart. And it's okay if you don't pick yourself back up. It's fine. Some of us are meant to be whole. Some of us are meant to be pieces. (laughs) So... (laughs) I don't know. I am fall. I as someone who is constantly now a mess in every literal pot potential way. That's just how I'm living my life now, and I am here doing it. So, oh my goodness, yes. Well, let's try to keep it together today as much as we can. So let's let's go into corrections corner. So the only thing that I have for corrections corner is. That there is a very big possibility that I specifically pronounced the Aramaic, Greek, Hebrew, and Latin translations of Jesus incorrectly. I am not a linguistics expert. We were using Google pronunciation and living on a prayer. So if anyone who does know how to pronounce those different translations of Jesus... If you would like to provide the correct pronunciation and send that to us as a voice memo, our DMs and our email inbox are open. You can find us at Potatoes Ward or Funeral Potatoes for the Singles at gmail.com. All right, and then that's pretty much all we've got for Corrections Corner. We are thrilled to be new members of the Dialogue Podcast Network. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Dialogue, Dialogue is a collective of independent and interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion into all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought, arts, and culture. You can support our podcast and others in the network by subscribing at dialoguejournal.com. Subscribers receive special benefits like ad-free episodes and bonus content. You can learn more at dialoguejournal.com. So check it out. So moving on into the exciting portion, the entire episode. So we're doing our general conference review. Um, we do this twice a year, and we do want to reiterate as we go through this that you don't have to listen to conference if it makes you uncomfortable or it brings back, you know, traumatic memories and so on. Just because a lot of people listen to it doesn't mean everyone needs to listen to it. So if you didn't, you shouldn't feel pressured to feel guilty in any way for tuning out if that's what you did. Additionally, you don't have to like or believe everything that you hear. We've talked a lot more lately about how our leaders are so only human and they don't always speak as the mouthpiece of God, no matter where they're standing, whether they're at the pulpit, whether they're talking to you one-on-one or so on. It really is up to you to rely on your own faith and personal revelation to know the truth. We, as well as the brethren, always encourage you to mull over what you've heard in general conference to pray about it and ask the Lord if this is true and if there are principles that you should be applying to your lives. We say it all the time. We know that the general authorities say it as well. And just because it's happening in general conference does not mean that that's it. 
that that's doctrine, that that's the end all be all of everything. You still should be taking time to think about what is shared in conference, pray about it, and seek your own revelation about it. And that's what we're going to encourage you to do and to remember as you hear our episode today, because we will be very honest with you. This was a rough conference for the two of us. It was very hard for us to get through it. I made it all through Saturday's sessions, made it through Sunday morning, and then after a specific talk in Sunday afternoon, I said I'm done and I turned off my laptop for the day. We just want you to know that we even are having challenges listening to all of the talks at conference, and if you are feeling that way, we want you to know that you're not alone. Hearing that someone else is struggling with leadership and with general conference messages was really helpful for me to hear over the weekend. So I hope that it helps someone else to hear that too. Yeah. So to all of that. And then, so we're going to dive in. We're taking it portion by portion, whatever, but we're not going to be touching on every single talk. We're just going to be connecting on those that caught our attention for one reason or another. So we will go ahead and start with the first one. So Saturday morning session, Reina Alberto of the Royal Society General Presidency spoke. Her talk was titled, We Are the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She started out by saying, good morning, fellow disciples of Christ. So right out of the gate, Sister Alberto provided gender-inclusive language and sustained it throughout her talk. Yeah. So good. The sisters generally use more inclusive language than the male leaders in the church. And yes, that is shade that I am throwing. Yes. So that was a really nice touch to see someone being positive in that way. And then I don't really have like any more particular things to share, but I did want to like highlight that I didn't go into general conference really expecting too much, asking too much, wanting too much, asking too much, except for the fact of wanting to hear more about single members within the church, within like any kind of um, spectrum whether it's about you know divorce sing um like forever single um the lgbtq plus community i wanted to hear more i want to like know more about like okay where does someone like me belong an unmarried woman who isn't interested in marriage or a typical slash traditional relationship kind of thing i didn't really get that anywhere but it, the closest i did get it was in umberto's talk because she addresses her, she addressed her own experiences that kind of highlight how she hasn't always belonged within the church in the traditional sense either she's been divorced she was a single mother for a while and so i felt that she's kind of trying to share the message that we can all belong in our own way and our differences are very important and we need to accept them and understand them about one another so that is kind of the reason why I want to highlight Alberto's talk, because she does make an effort to speak to the groups who are ignored. Yeah, I loved that about her talk. She also said a few things that really stuck out to me during the talk. The first thing that she sa- shared was that we should not underestimate the work Christ is doing through us, regardless of our imperfections, which I really loved that reminder. The second thing she shared was that we should have the faith of a child and rejoice in knowing that our smallest efforts are making a difference in his kingdom. And then the last thing that really hit me was when she explained that the Relief Society is a global network of compassionate women and we can bring each other to the Savior's infinite healing. And I really liked that. I don't think we talk about the Relief Society like that enough. I think we always talk about it as like, it's a global sisterhood. Like, 
and you have a place anywhere you go in the world. But like, we don't talk about how the Relief Society has more of a purpose than just being like a meeting place for women. She emphasized that it's there so we can have like a place of compassion and be compassionate towards others and we can help lead each other to the savior. So I thought that was really important that she shared too. So the next talk is by Larry S. Catcher of The 70, and his talk was titled Ladder of Faith. He opened his talk by sharing a question, which was, how will life's challenges change our lives and our faith? I really enjoyed this talk because his focus was how our challenges don't just go away because we're faithful, but that we learn how to grow around our challenges because of our faith. Just because we're faithful and we're obedient to the commandments doesn't mean that all of our challenges disappear because they don't. Like, we're still going to have challenges. But as each challenge comes, we're able to grow more so that way they don't overshadow our entire lives. He shared a few things that really hit me hard. The first one was overdependence on ourselves removes the possibility of learning and trusting in God, which I felt called out on. The second one was unbelief blocks our abilities to see miracles. Even when our faith is weak, God's hand is ever present in our lives. And the third one was after doing all things in our power, it's time to be still, to let God do his work and allow his hand to work in our lives. That is true. That's what I experienced with <sighs> with getting this job, basically. <laughs> like. <laughs> A year and a half of me fighting the Lord and being like, I want to do this. And he was like, calm down. It's not your time. And I was like, but it is. And he was like, no. And then finally, when I was ready to listen and like chill and, you know, just wait on him, that's when he was like, okay, now you're ready. This is what you're going to do. And I was like, wow, how do I always do this to myself? It's true. We should be trying and doing all things in our power, but at the same time, we need to be like, okay, Heavenly Father, what am I not getting? What is it that I'm not doing correctly or that I need to stop doing so that I can make this miracle happen in my life? And once we take that time to sit, be still, and let him actually do the work, then we'll see the miracles happen. I really like that. Yeah. All right, so those are the two we wanted to highlight from Saturday morning, and then we are moving into Saturday afternoon. We did enjoy some of Jeffrey R. Holland's talk. His talk is titled Fear Not, Believe Only. It was a pretty good talk, uh, but there's definitely concerns still because nothing he didn't really make up for or do anything about his BYU address regarding picking up muskets against others. And that's not something that you can just say and people don't get hurt. Everyone needs some more closure over that. And Holland did not provide that, which then makes it, it feel at this point we won't ever get that, which will cause problems. I mean, I'm sure we're going to touch on this later in the episode, but it's always interesting to me how we are always taught and expected to repent of our mistakes. And part of repentance is admitting when we've made a mistake and doing reparations to those whom we've hurt in the process. And yet it does not seem to be happening with leadership in the church or the church as a whole. So it's just it's just an observation that I have. I'm not saying anything directly. I'm just mentioning that what I have observed in my 31 years of life is that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amen. 
I mean, there's definitely some type of people who are not very good at apologizing. But it is definitely something that needs to be worked on. And true repentance does come. You just need to be a little bit more humble. And we would love to be able to see that in our church leadership. The one thing I will say about Elder Holland's talk that I enjoyed, because I didn't really make notes on his talk, um, I enjoyed the little banter Mm -hmm. that he had, or the little bit that he had with Elder Kieran, who came after him, where he was like, oh, if you like this talk, I'm Elder Holland, but if you don't like it, I'm Elder Patrick Kieran. (laughs) (laughs) That was very cute. I thought it was cute, which leads us into the next talk, which is Elder Patrick Kieran's talk. Um, He's in the 70, and his talk was titled, He is Risen with Healing in His Wings. He followed up that bit and said, like, if you don't like this talk, I'm Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, basically, which was also cute. But then he said that his talk was going to be even more boring than Elder Holland's. And then he had the audacity to get up there, spit nothing but powerful spiritual truths. And then he didn't do a mic drop. He just set the entire podium on fire and was like, all right, top that, everybody. Like, goodness. His talk was so good. It was so good. Yeah. He started out by sharing an incredible survival story. I mean, I feel kind of like Karen Kilgariff in the I'm really obsessed with I survived stories, but like he shared this incredible I survived story of a crew that was stranded on a remote island in the Antarctic. Crazy storms, no food, like all of this crazy stuff in like freezing weather, obviously, and they all survived. And he shared, he related that to how if we're enduring our own survival story, we should know that the Lord's atonement is sufficient for us and we will be able to endure with the help of the Lord. With that, he also talked about victims of abuse and other forms of cruelty and how they don't need to feel despised by God or the need to repent of that because they did not do anything wrong and their abuse is not their fault. He explained that if we turn to the Lord, he will show us exactly how precious we are, which was a beautiful thing to add on top of that. The last thing he shared that I really enjoyed was that though it may feel or seem impossible, the Savior can and will right all wrongs and heal all wounds. And then he just wrapped up his talk, but it was His talk was really beautiful, and if you haven't heard it, you should go back and read it. It was great. Honestly, yes. I think that if there was any talk that actually shined during this general conference, it would be Karen's. All right, so moving on, we next want to share Adrian Ochoa's talk. He's of the 70. His talk is titled, Is the Plan Working? So when things are hard or not working out the way that we thought to, or like when we think the plan of happiness isn't working, it still is. We just are getting caught up in the moment kind of thing. So that's kind of his point that he's trying to get across. And he has a few points that he shared on helping us to figure that out, things that we can do and things to figure out. So he said to have faith in Jesus Christ. Does the journey seem long and arduous? Yes. Just try to do his will, though. Trust in his atonement. And you will have the peace and strength that you need that's necessary to move forward through your trials. He also says in times of trouble, turn to Jesus Christ right away. And I love how he like adds on like that little thing like, okay, that's the first thing that you should be doing. Call out to Christ immediately and you will receive added strength and peace. 
when the road doesn't seem so happy, you can remember it's also called the plan of redemption. So that's meant to redeem and to purify our souls to bring us joy ultimately. So, I mean, we often get caught up in like the pain of everything and how miserable we are and how much hardship we're enduring. And it's like, it's okay. Like we'll get through this and we can get to that joy. We just have to do something. And then third, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you to greater things. So the rebuke of the Lord, he's saying here, is meant to encourage you to accomplish greater things. Never will the Lord's plan become more more real to you than when you naturally humble yourself and serve him. And I think that's a super important because we need to, we need to rem- remember that we're not alone and that that's his whole thing. Like if your plan isn't working, you just need to take a step back, turn to the Lord, and you'll be able to figure things out. I really loved this talk because... I am very often guilty of thinking, oh, this is so hard. Why is it so hard? The plan of happiness isn't real because I'm miserable. Like, (laughs) that's how I am. And it 100%, this talk was the call out that I needed to remember that just because things are hard, it doesn't mean that the Lord is punishing me or he hates me. He's just trying to make me better. And that like, that line about the plan of happiness is also called the plan of redemption meant to redeem and purify you and like make you better. That was something that I really needed to hear because I'm like so much for this plan of happiness. I'm so not happy <laughs> about how things are going. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. So I really liked that talk too. Okay. So we always know that there's a few rumors that go around Donald conference we're always wondering, like, okay, like, what's the next temple going to be? Who's going to talk about this? Is Uchtdorf going to share another story about an airplane? And this particular season, we did hear a few very specific rumors abounding social media about some topics that we expected to be brought up during this particular general conference. These rumors often mean nothing. They often get, like, to be super outlandish. However, two of them did come true. For one of them, we believe that there might be mention about the conditional love of God. We paid attention to these rumors because we don't personally care for like some of the things that are being shared. So we wanted to make sure that we paid attention. And we were kind of surprised when these actually came to light that they were brought up in general conference. So for the last talk that we want to bring up for the Saturday afternoon session is Elder Kevin S. Hamilton's talk. He's at the 70. His talk is titled, Then Will I Make Weak Things Become Strong? So I'm going to read a quote from him that includes more quotes inside that. So he says, even God's love, although infinite and perfect, is also subject to conditions. For example, if ye keep my commandments, then ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Elder D. Todd Christopherson further expanded on this gospel truth when he taught, Some are wont to say, the Savior loves me just as I am. And that is certainly true. But he cannot take any of us into his kingdom just as we are, for no unclean thing can dwell there or dwell in his presence, as mentioned in Moses 6.57. Our sins must first be resolved. So we, this is not super like unknown. We, like Nelson did talk about this year, some years ago. However, we, we, we disagree with this and they're kind of bending things here. It doesn't make sense. You can't have infinite and perfect love that's also conditional it doesn't play that way from our perspective it does not have conditions your heavenly parents will always love you no matter what no matter what you do no matter what happens they will love you as you are and will love you as you grow 
Hamilton doesn't even defend his position that strongly here and actually having like adequate verbiage to explain that. He's talking about the commandments and then abiding in the love. So that's like when you're obeying things, then you'll begin to feel the love. But the love is still there whether or not you're obeying those commandments. This does not make sense to us. They cannot give us enough information or enough resources or anything to actually back up this claim. And it doesn't fit with any of the gospel. No, especially because the entire plan of salvation hinges upon God's and Jesus Christ's love for us. If it were not for that unconditional perfect love, God would not have sent Jesus Christ to atone for our sins. Period. The love is always going to be there. It does not require any specific work on our part to receive that love. Yes, it does require work to end up in the Lord's kingdom. I will not disagree with that. That is true. We do have to repent of our sins, make covenants and whatnot, follow the commandments, everything to be in the highest kingdom with our heavenly parents and Jesus Christ again. That is true. Does that mean that they love us any less if we do not do those things and end up in a lower kingdom? No. Those other kingdoms, which someone else mentions later in conference, are evidence of God's infinite love for all of his children. If he did not love us perfectly, we would not have degrees of glory at the end of everything. Hamilton's talk does not make sense. It contradicts actual church doctrine. And I'm really, I'm so heated and furious (laughs) that no one read that talk and was like, no, you can't do that. You have to stop that. These talks go through months and months and months of review. So why did no one catch that and be like, actually, his love is not conditional. Yes, access to the celestial kingdom is conditional, but his love is not conditional and you should fix that. Like, why did no one catch that? Why did no one catch that? I mean, like I said, like Nelson has pretty much said that before. I'm not, I'm not defending any of this. My, that's my only thought process because it has been mentioned once or twice before that God's love is conditional, but it's been a lot more recent, like in like the last 10 to 15 years kind of recent. It's not in church doctrine. It's not in the gospel. It's not in the scriptures. Like there's a lot of like actions, like if then things that definitely happen, sure. But yeah, our, our whole basis, like you said, is set up with God's love. If we take away any bit of God's love, then nothing works. No. So this is where I started to fall apart during conference. This was the talk where I was like, what am I listening to? And I'm sorry if like someone heard this talk and loved it. I just heard it from my (laughs) critical lens of I know the doctrine very well. (laughs) And I know the scriptures very well. And all of this contradicts what's in the scriptures. So Mm -hmm. we have a problem. Agreed. Yeah. And I mean, there were other good things in his talk. I will get granted that like he gives guidance on like change always being possible. And that is an important aspect for us who are like many of us who are suffering or are hurting or something, like if we want to change, there's always room and always time. Like he did say that. So like he has some good points in his talk, but there's a cornerstone broken in his talk. So it can't be like this whole thing that actually works. It doesn't work. No. And it hurts that no one bothered to be like, excuse you, Hamilton, but you're wrong. So that sucks. And that wraps up the Saturday afternoon session. (laughs) Yay. And so now we take these 
cranky feelings and we go into the women's <laughs> session. Cheers. Which was, I think actually Hamilton's talk is when Kaylee and I started messaging one another yeah. about conference and we were like, what is going on right now? So mm-hmm. it just gets worse. It's great, guys. Let's talk about Saturday night. Let's talk about about the women's session. That wasn't supposed to happen. This overall session was unprecedented, again, because they said that there were not going to be any more Saturday evening sessions, priesthood or women's. But then a few months prior to this, they were like, LOL, just kidding. Here's a women's session. So now we're kind of wondering why this is happening. Did they realize how much the women want something for themselves? Is it that they just want to have something that's gender neutral every time? So like it's just a general adult session. Do they just want to make sure that they had the session to bring up specific topics like they like to do historically in the church is bring up crazy topics during the women's sessions? For me, it was a little odd that they had President Oaks read that first presidency message at the beginning of the session. Yeah. For those of you that didn't hear it, or didn't quite recognize what that was. The message basically said, yeah, this is the women's session, but the first presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve planned the whole thing, and we asked specific sisters to speak and which ones to conduct, and we created the entire program, us, the men. The women had nothing to do with it. Like, that's basically what that message was. Which had me sitting there and I was like, why do you feel like you need to come out and say that at the beginning of the women's session? It's either to get rid of any blame that happens from the event or to claim all the success. Neither of which are good. I'm just speaking for myself, I guess, here. I have always thought the women's session was planned by the women. Like, I always thought it was entrusted to the care of the sister leadership of the church. I feel like it should be. And so, like, pointing out that it's not and that it's still planned by the first presidency and the quorum of the 12 makes it very apparent that they don't trust the women to be left in charge and want it known on a global scale. That's a good point and that hurts and that's stupid. They could have just left us in the dark and let us continue to think that the women planned the session. Yeah. So them saying that just seemed kind of spiteful to me. Mm -hmm. But also I was in a bad mood when this session was happening. So maybe I was just extra, extra salty. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. So, so I was on edge right after that. And thankfully there was a great talk that started out the session that brought the spirit in because I felt like the spirit got chased away from me in that moment. So Susan H. Porter, who was just called to be the new primary general president, she spoke first, and I really loved this talk because she led us into her life and her life experiences. She shared right at the beginning how her husband and her were serving as Area 70s in Eastern Europe, and he suddenly got sick. A few weeks after they returned home, he surprisingly passed away. And she was a new widow and was grieving, obviously. And she was asking the Lord what she should do and what he needed from her. And she said that she remembered going and getting the mail and having a piece of mail that had the image of the Samaritan woman at the well. And she felt the spirit prompt her to be more like that woman to not only drink from the well, but to share the water from the well with those around her. 
So she shared three points that were especially powerful reminders for each of us, which were that our past and present circumstances do not determine our futures. With that, our lives are sacred. They have meaning and are precious to God. We all have a purpose regardless of what our marital status is, which I thought was a really nice thing to point out too. The second thing was the power is in us. We have the power to bring about much righteousness through our direct access to the power of God. And then the last thing she shared was, out of small things proceeded that which is great. Our words and actions of faith have greater impact and power than we know. We can be the salt of the earth in our family, leaven to lift spirits and a ray of light in our communities. That was like paraphrasing a bunch of quotes, but it was a really, really beautiful talk. And I thought that helped reinvite the spirit into my heart because I was going to need it for the rest of the session. Sure it is. I mean, the rest of the, the women speakers in that video presentation were lovely. They were. The choir were was lovely. But what you're going to talk about now. Let's go a little <laughs> deeper. All right, guys. Remember how I mentioned how some rumors we'd been hearing about the general conference were kind of coming true? Here's the other one. Not only did another rumor come true, though, we also had a pretty good idea. The message would most likely come from one of five men. Um, like I was literally reading a tweet about the five naming the five people, and at the top of the list was Dale G. Renland. The Instagram post too that was verbatim. Yep, the whole thing. It was like Renland just read Instagram before getting up to the podium. <laughs> Pretty much, it was wild. Yes. Um. So as I dive in, if you're not all, if you are not already following Rachel Hunt Steenblick on social media. Please correct this immediately. She covered a lot of this topic as it started going on because she is a very well-known voice in the topic of Heavenly Mother. She knows all this stuff. She's like a philosopher. She's a teacher. She's a poet. Like She's an amazing human being who was deep in the thick of this. So Renlin's talk is titled Your Divine Nature and Eternal Destiny. And he spoke about a lot of things um, and he kind of glided over this, but the message was very clear. He spoke about Heavenly Mother. Now, I mean, there are some good things about this, and other social media accounts have like noted this, that the fact that he did openly address Heavenly Mother is important because she is usually completely ignored during these proceedings. And he kind of peeked the door open for some of us to learn about her more. Um, and just like there is a gospel topic that you can learn about her a little bit more. So there's hope that people read this. And that's what a lot of people were saying, like, okay, like here, this is a good thing. However, that's where the kindness stops. That is where the good stuff stops because it was still utter garbage what he was saying. And he has caused a lot of pain and distress by telling us what to do about Heavenly Mother. So first off, having one gospel topic is not enough for us to know Heavenly Mother. We're allowed to have questions, which those are encouraged. We're encouraged to gather our personal revelation and to pray, but the way Redland spoke about this did not follow that vein. Like in the previous talk we mentioned by Hamilton, he kind of just steers away from what we kind of preach as an overall church and gospel. I mean, he says, you two may still have questions and want to find more answers. Seeking greater understanding is an important part of our spiritual development, but please be cautious. Reason cannot replace revelation. Reason cannot replace revelation. Yep. He said that. I, I can't. 
I, I just look at him like, what is he trying? Like, what is he really trying to say? Because like, there's no way he could have said this. It doesn't make sense. Which is especially funny because I know people brought it up on Twitter all this week. Yeah, but like, literally the entire doctrine and covenants is based around someone seeking revelation about these things and then writing them down. We would not have the Doctrine and Covenants without Joseph being like, hmm, I have questions. I want to find answers. I'm going to read the Bible and then I'm going to go ask God what all of these answers are and then I'm going to write them down and compile them into the Doctrine and Covenants. Yeah. It's literally one of our standard words. So like, <laughs> bro. <laughs> well, yeah, and then like he was saying like we can't demand revelation and it's like, what? what is the word of wisdom? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. It doesn't, it, it did not make any sense. I, like, I almost wanted to laugh, but I was so frustrated, I'd rather just slap him. I was so annoyed. I felt the same way, but at the same time, I was like, he does realize that he is literally contradicting every gospel principle we have taught since the beginning. It's freaking insane. Like, he's contradicting everything right now. I understand him saying that, like, we shouldn't be praying to Heavenly Mother. I understand that. Like, I understand why he is saying that because we are taught to pray to God the Father through Jesus Christ. But saying that we're not allowed to seek further revelation and knowledge about this is absurd, sir. It's it's absurd. It's a freaking mess. And actually, like, I, I can understand that to a certain extent, but also, like, if we want to search her out, we have the right to search her out, whether it's through doctrine or whether it's by praying like yes we are taught to pray to heavenly father um but like heavenly mother doesn't really get mentioned in the scriptures at all so that doesn't mean we need to limit ourselves here like if you want to pray to your heavenly parents like do it i mean i'll be honest i don't pray directly to heavenly mother Mm -hmm. there are times when i'll be like can you just put mom on speakerphone or something? Like, can you get her in the room? And I do that with like my dad too. Like there are some times where I'll pray to Heavenly Father and I'll be like, I just need you to like put my dad on the line real quick. And I'm going to just talk to you and dad will be on speakerphone or whatever the heck is the situation up there. But like put my dad on speaker and then like I'll hear my dad's voice sometimes like giving me the answers that I need. So like it's possible to do the same thing and have those same sort of experiences with Heavenly Mother. Right. Well, it's like, okay, so like we've got the whole structure of prayer and that's the thing. That's what we were given by Jesus. We were given the structure of prayer. We're not supposed to say exactly what he said every vein of it. We're supposed to like start it out like, who are we talking to? Be grateful here's what our problem, like, here's what we're asking for. Let's work this out together. And then you close it, you wrap it up. Yeah. That's like, that's the thing. So I do not appreciate that. He basically compared praying to Heavenly Mother to praying to like an idol of false worship from the Bible. It's it's just, it's, it's not okay. Heavenly Mother isn't in the scriptures. We don't have a good reason why not? We have bad translations, maybe, and maybe because men don't typically see women as human, let alone as a creator of worlds. So, like, <laughs> we don't have we don't have a good enough reason to do what Renlin is telling us to do or not to do. And then he has the gall to say, "I wish I knew more." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? 
he has has he not tried yeah. there are byu articles and so many papers there's research pieces there's tons of books that refer to her like it's not that hard it is not hard at all to look through mormon culture lore and material to find heavenly mother there are, are so many people like rachel hunt steenblake who have spent years of research and dedication and time and effort into learning about her writing about her for everyone else to know if he wanted to he would this is the kind of situation we're in i wanted to look up just to make sure that i'm not making up false information so him saying i wish i knew more and then not acknowledging that there are actual articles attached to the gospel topics essay yes that's that right reference heavenly mother that come from byu studies that come from history of the young ladies mutual improvement association of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints there's poetry um, from times and seasons there are multiple multiple references in that gospel topics essay that he could have acknowledged yes could have and could have read could have read if he wanted he to. could learn more if he wanted to. yeah um so for me aside from my annoyance about how contradictory <laughs> this is to all of the teachings of the church yet again I thought it was particularly hurtful because it came as the closing talk of yes. this session, of this women's session. And it was just a few minutes, literally 15 minutes after the video presentation about how women are critical to building Zion, how we are divinely made and inspired by heavenly parents, plural, and how much power we bring which were all words from President Nelson from multiple talks that spanned his talks in 2015, 2019, and last year in 2021. I was particularly annoyed by that because I was like, you just built us up so high with that video. Like, and it was wonderful. And then Sister Bingham gave a great talk, which I completely forgot to mention, but her talk was also wonderful. And then you just uppercut us straight to the chin. Like with this. I mean, as usual, they put us on a pedestal and they're like, oh no, the pedestal, it's falling. And then they knocked it over. Yeah. So that was especially infuriating for me. Well, and then what's also stupid is he's like, yeah, we have a heavenly mother. Like, she's totally cool. We can't talk, like, we can't, like, muse on her. Um, but, like, there is one. And then he proceeded to make sure that he referenced him, God, and heavenly father moving forward. And that, because I was looking for that. And I was like, how are you going to continue your talk addressing Heavenly Mother at all. And it's like, no, there was nothing. Um, because he was specifying like, oh, we're Heavenly Father's children. Oh, 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 one yes. more. Yes. Okay, so the reason he brought this up, I just remembered this. The reason he brought this up was because he was basing his talk on the young women's motto. The whole like oh theme. The like, yeah, okay, that's so what when we grew up, it that's was, we are daughters of a loving Heavenly Father who loves us and we love him. Mm -hmm. The young women's motto now starts that we are daughters of loving Heavenly parents. Plural. <laughs> he really started his talk by quoting the beginning of the young women's theme mentioning heavenly parents and then going oh while we're on the topics of heavenly parents um yeah your heavenly mother don't talk about her she's dead to us like basically nullifying the entire young women's theme too which i just remembered that like just now that's right yes thank you yeah it it pissed it 
it, it made me so mad on so many accounts. And like to bring her up and then just to like completely yeah, nullify her to take her out of everything. Because he he did make a few references to like us being like children of our heavenly father and so on. I'm like, it would not be that hard to include her. No. It is a painless process. Just include her. So this talk was infuriating on many accounts. I don't know if he said anything else good because I am so upset with this. And I mean, like, I appreciate the the people who said it's good that, like, he mentioned her. Like, I get it. That's good. Um, but as I've been diving deeper into Heavenly Mother research and literature since our episode on the topic forever ago, Renlin's words are basically telling me to stop what I'm doing. And that's not okay. There is no good reason not to search her out. And especially, like, because we're women. Like, if I want to picture myself in eternity, I can't picture myself as Heavenly Father. That's not how that works. I'm going to be picturing myself as her with her there is that disconnect that these men are not seen it was just stupid and i felt it felt like we were being scolded for basically existing and wanting (laughs) (laughs) or for wanting to do anything we were being scolded for asking questions for wanting to learn things for ourselves for seeking out another female character person who like we could look up to because what man do we want to look up to? It just felt like um, Ted Cruz was giving a talk at oh my General God. Conference. Stop. It was like... I mean, it was bad, but... It was like he was saying, like, remember, all of creation culminated with the creation of women. Oh, but by the way, you suck and I hate you. Like, that's basically how it felt to me. Pretty much. So anyway, that wraps up Saturday night. Yeah, we can... <laughs> I could rant for a whole episode. We're moving on Sunday, Sunday morning. So lead us on, Tracy. I will be honest. I mean, as you can tell now, we have devolved very quickly <laughs> in this episode yet again. Um, the usual. By Sunday morning, I was emotionally exhausted. Mm-hmm. I was wiped out. I felt like all of the sessions on Saturday were the most painful roller coaster that I've ever been on. Like I felt like I would have some good spiritual highs and then I would quickly be dropped into something that contradicted everything everyone prior had shared in the conference. And then I would be brought back up to like an average place. And then I would be dropped off the tracks of the roller coaster completely, thrown off a cliff, set on fire, and then given a band-aid and an ice pack to make it all better. That's basically how I felt going into Sunday. Sounds all right. I was struggling by Sunday morning. And I also would like to point out that I didn't go into conference with questions like I normally do. I went into conference just asking to feel spiritually nourished, which by the end of Saturday's sessions, I felt spiritually drained. So that is not leading me to a good place. The only talk on Sunday morning that I could fully pay attention to was by Sister Amy Wright, who is the new first counselor in the primary general presidency. Her talk was so good for me. I thought it was wonderful. She started with that anecdote about some grandchildren breaking a potted plant outside of the house and the five-year-old Briton comforting the other grandson and going, it's okay. Grandma will just rub your back and say, it's okay. You're only five. Like, that's what she does for me. And then the other grandson was like, but Briton, I'm 23. (laughs) (laughs) 
that had me laughing so oh, hard. Great. I was I couldn't handle it. The point of that story was that the Savior can help us repair all broken things in our lives, no matter how old we are or how damaged we are, or how old or damaged the thing is in our life. She related this to the woman caught in adultery and how the Savior said, go and sin no more, which she said was an invitation to go forth and change, but we can also interpret it as go forth and heal. One other point that she made was that while we're waiting on the Lord in the middle of our trials, while we're healing, that we are in a sacred time. It is a time of refining, of purifying, and of drawing closer to the Lord. She then said, stop focusing on the way that we're delivered and focus on the deliverer. And I loved that quote so much because when we are in the middle of our trials, we really are in a sacred time. Like that's when we learn the most. That's when we grow the most. That's when we draw the closest to the Savior. And by focusing on the Savior being the deliverer, it will give us more strength and more capability to endure than we would if we were just focusing solely on how and when we'll be delivered. So I really love that she helped flip that perspective and also flip that narrative of go forth and sin no more to go forth and heal. That's very good. Yeah. Um, so as we do decide to go forth and heal, we are not speaking about oaks today. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, in case anyone was expecting that, we've ranted about it before. We pretty much say the same things this time. Most of what he said was very hurtful. That was in the afternoon. <laughs> yes, and but we will touch on another harmful one that was supposed to be about healing. Ronald A. Rasbin of the Twelve, his talk was titled To Heal the World. And I almost hurt myself. I rolled my eyes so many times. <laughs> Um, I was texting you so furiously, my thumbs started hurting. <laughs> like, I was so mad. <laughs> I wanted to text so much more, and I was like, this is, but all I would have been literally doing is just like, this is so stupid. This is so stupid. This is so stupid. Please make him stop. I think that's when you'll notice that our Twitter feed for our podcast started exploding because Haley was <laughs> rage tweeting instead. <laughs> Just a little bit, okay? <laughs> I had to let some steam out so I could begin the healing process. Yep. Anyways, so let's dive in with a quote just to kind of get this started. There is another scourge sweeping the globe. Attacks on your and my religious freedom. This growing sentiment seeks to remove religion and faith in God from the public squares, schools, community standards, and civic discourse. Opponents of religious freedom seek to impose restrictions on expressions of heartfelt convictions. They even criticize and ridicule faith traditions. Such an attitude marginalizes people, devaluing personal principles, fairness, respect, spirituality, and peace of conscience. Personally, my thought process is if your faith tradition has you hurting a marginalized group, say, voting against freedoms for women, trans people, and, and black, indigenous, and people of color, then it's not a good faith tradition. So while we wholeheartedly support religious freedom and understand that this needs to be secured around the world, we do need to make sure that we're not painting ourselves as victims when we're butthurt that we can't legally persecute other people. And I mean, we've already talked about religious violence. We've talked about a lot of this stuff before. You can check out one of our recent episodes where it was specifically about religious violence. 
like how we have been hurt and we have hurt others. We've persecuted and we've been persecuted. As far as we know from our, you know, vast experience on social media interaction these days, because we're on quite a bit, there are no laws being proposed that will actively harm the LDS church. I mean, in Tennessee, you might be able to have yourself a child bride soon. And what Christian man doesn't want one of those. But that's that's not part of this. That's not part of this. Okay. I had to like hold it together yes. while you didn't mm-hmm. hold that. You're, because you're I good. wanted to you, scream. You can let it out if you want. Okay. Yes. Understandable. When he said that religious freedom was a scourge that was sweeping the globe, I wanted to scream. I actually did scream in my apartment while that happened. I mean, yeah, I might as well. Because nothing is happening in our country legislatively, legally, judicially, anything. Nothing is happening whatsoever that is preventing us from our religious freedoms. Nothing. The only thing that is happening that could be considered preventing or inhibiting their religious freedom is their ability to marginalize the marginalized and their ability to, I don't want to say persecute, but I want to say ostracize. I think that is what I'm looking for. Their Mm -hmm. ability to ostracize marginalized groups because what we are seeing at like BYU, this is probably their thought of infringing upon religious freedom is the LGBTQ community doesn't feel safe at BYU. And all of those lawsuits and legal proceedings and studies are happening at BYU and how they're impacting the LGBTQ community. I feel like Elder Razvan probably thinks that's infringing upon his religious freedom because BYU, an educational institution that is owned by the church, is being investigated now. But really, nothing is happening to them other than an investigation. And I mean, the most that could happen is they lose their accreditation if they don't open things up for the LGBTQ community, or at least make it safer. And they said they're okay with that. So, And so really... No freedoms are being removed from them. No freedoms are being infringed upon. We're not threatened with anything. Like there's no law coming into our country or anywhere around the world, as far as I know, that says, hey, Mormons, you have to do X, Y, and Z for marginalized communities and the homeless population and all of this other stuff. Like no laws are coming into place telling them to do that. They're just worried that a time will come where they have to be nice and accept marginalized communities and they don't want to do that right now. And I know there are people listening right now that are like, we do accept marginalized communities. In a way, yes, we do. But also we don't. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, was it this talk or was it another one um, where like they were like, yeah, we're doing stuff to help the LGBTQ plus community in Arizona. Like we're doing good things to help people. And it just, it was not said with any sincerity from my perspective. And it was just like bypassing a lot of like what has been said. It's like, we're helping people we don't like because we're good people kind of thing. Like that was the vibe that I was getting from their messaging there. It was all very highly problematic. And like, honestly, it just, his talk kept getting worse. Yeah. So he had another point about religion. He said, if religion is not there to help with shaping character and mediating hard times, who will be? Who will teach honesty, gratitude, forgiveness, and patience? Who will exhibit charity, compassion, and kindness for the forgotten and the downtrodden? Who will embrace those who are different yet deserving, as are all God's children? 
Who will open their arms to those in need and seek no recompense? Who will reverence peace and obedience to lies greater than the trends of the day? Who will respond to the Savior's plea? Go and do thou likewise. I would like to pose a follow-up question. (laughs) Go ahead. Are we actually doing that in the church right now? No, we're not. No, we're not. I was going to say, like, my favorite parable is the Good Samaritan Mm -hmm. because it teaches a very valuable lesson on, like, you can be in power and you can be in political power and, like, religious power and still do nothing. And it's going to be the poor person, the marginalized people who are coming in to help the people who really need the help. Like... And I, because I see that directly within the church constantly, they make a lot of expectations for on how you actually do get a lot of help within the church. Like if you want access to certain help, they will require you to do certain things. There's like legalities that are also like involved. It's a huge, it's a mess. And they're like the judgment within the church culture is like super ugly. Like it's, it's we've dar- we've talked about that a lot. <laughs> we've gone on about this. Yes. This kind of conversation is one big piece of garbage, steaming heap, with a fallacy or two like tied in there, because it it provides it it proposes a divide with religion. We are good people. Only people with religion are good. Anyone without religion cannot be truly moral. That's like a binary belief. Like that's false. Like our church loves to pray shows. Like it's this or it's that. There is no like there's no in between. And like this is. Stupid, wrong, and dangerous. There are countless people across this earth who are good people and don't believe in God or simply our version of God. We have so many friends who are not in the church or who have left the church. Who are kind, generous, loving, forgiving, compassionate people. And then there are people in the church that are the biggest jerks I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. You can't say that because we are, this is, this is that thing that we talked about in our episode about right versus truth versus reality versus this because you can't sit there and say that because we have the fullness of the gospel of jesus christ that we are the lord's true chosen anointed perfect wonderful people you can't say that because we have this fullness of knowledge that we are better than anyone around us because we're not because i could be the biggest jerk on the face of the planet as a member of the church. I could pay my tithing. I could be a temple recommend holder. I could be all of those things. And if I'm still a douchebag to every human being around me and I treat them like actual garbage, how am I better than someone who is not a member of the church? How? How am I? How am I better? I'm not. I'm actually worse because of that. So like you not make this argument i don't want it and it's so dangerous it does so much harm especially for like young impressionable minds like you we grow up thinking like okay like anyone with a priesthood is going to be freaking awesome and good and like worthy and everything no like you can you can lie your way through anything you can lie your way through a mission you can lie your way through a temple recommend interview you can lie your way through anything and just because someone's in a position of power and has like the the power of discernment doesn't mean they're always going to get things right or use the gift of discernment even exactly i know i've known people who definitely have positions in the church or have temple recommends who should not have had them with everything that i knew about them and i mean if you want some super basic example ted bundy like (laughs) which we've also talked about (laughs) super basic but like come on this his whole ward was voting 
for him to like not be guilty and he he very much was he literally got baptized while he was murdering women yes again how that bishop or whoever it was that was doing the baptismal interview let that slide is beyond me but i would like to have a conversation with him when we get to the other side oh goodness Anyways, so <laughs> that talk was infuriating, and I'm sorry if we just made everyone angry again, but I hope that our anger and our conversation helped you feel heard and validated. And opens your mind to hopeful solutions in your life and some kind of peace that you will eventually find, because that would be nice for us all. Yeah. So let's move on to Sunday afternoon the last session and like Kaylee said we are not going to be talking about Oaks's talk because we are on a path of healing but I will point out that his entire talk basis was on the idea that policies are doctrine and divinely inspired and unchanging <laughs> unchanging specifically when we literally have had multiple policy reversals and changes over so the years many. Not just like old ones, but like new ones too. Yeah, and we have had multiple leaders Gosh. who said that policies change as the needs of the members change. That has been said in conference. I will look it up later and I'll tell you in corrections corner who has said that, but it has been said multiple times. So that talk was a talk of nothing but contradictions. That's where I turned off my computer and I did not come back to the rest of Sunday conference. What? Is it with this session? My goodness. So Kaylee is going to have to wrap up the rest of this because I did not. <laughs> I didn't even go back to it this week. I couldn't. I could not. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. It's fair. No, you're good. I I mean, I was barely listening. I was there in front of the TV on my computer and I was like, I, I was in and out the entire time because I was just, I was drained, but I just didn't leave. I will say... That I, I lasted as long as I did because of the podcast. And I was like, if I don't take <laughs> notes, I'm not going to go back and do this again. So I lasted until mm -hmm. Sunday afternoon Good job for the podcast, mm -hmm. for all of you five <laughs> listeners that will listen to this episode. Very good. Yes. All right. We'll just be highlighting too. They're not half as bad as anything else. So, all right. So I did want to highlight Ulysses Suarez. Um, of the 12, his talk in awe of Christ and his gospel. I'm not going to dive in too much, too deep, um, but he spoke up about spiritual apathy, which I thought was just a very interesting topic to bring up for general conference. It's something I think that we have all felt before for various reasons, such as our mental health, spiritual health, current physical situation, and so on. So I am not in the situation where I'm ready to feel the spiritual wonder and awe over everything that Suarez was talking about. But he did speak of joy, which is something that I think we could be working toward, to have a goal to work toward. Um, so instead of like being on guard all the time against that which will hurt, we could also be looking for opportunities to find the joy that we might be able to experience during things like general conference and so on. Um, and then he shared a quote from Pastor Aidan Wilson Tozer, a renowned writer and valiant Christian, who wrote, Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. And he said that wasn't this exactly what happened to the people of Nephi shortly after the birth of Christ. They began to be less and less astonished at a sign or a wonder from heaven, disbelieving all which they had heard and seen. Thus did Satan blind their eyes and lead them away to believe that the doctrine of Christ was a foolish and a vain thing. 
it was very interesting to just kind of like dive into that, especially like with everything that was like already going on in the situation that I was listening to in general conference. So I think it's important for us to keep in mind the things that we are seeing for ourselves um, and to consider what they do mean for us and how we can apply them in our lives. And I did like how he said that when we intentionally and truly dedicate ourselves to look unto him and learn from his perfect example, we come to know him better. We also gain additional understanding, wisdom, divine character, and grace toward God and our neighbors. So if we're really dedicating ourselves to actually like understanding him and learning, then we will find a lot more understanding and we will begin to learn and love others better. And then, of course, we do have to mention Dieter Fuchdorf of the Twelve. He His talk was Our Heartfelt All. He hasn't really heard too many people, so it's kind of nice to have a hopeful voice in general conference. I'll be honest, I was really upset that his talk wasn't until the end of conference because his talk was one that I really wanted to hear. And I just could not open my computer again. I was like, Tracy, it was a sandwich. They got Alberto and then they got Uchtdorf and they put like all the mush in the middle. I mean, granted, like there was like one or two talks after Uchtdorf. I didn't, I don't remember anything that was said. They knew they had to end with Uchtdorf. That's the only way anyone would keep listening. Uchtdorf got the Holland spot. That's where Holland used to go. Yep. Uchtdorf has taken the mantle away from Holland <laughs> as the favorite apostle. Yes. <laughs> We are cheering you on. So his whole thing was about how our work, life, and faith aren't really meant to be occasional or casual, but we're meant to be committed in all that we do. And he talked about riding his bike and focusing ahead of him and not staring at his feet the entire time. He said similar principles apply when it comes to finding balance in our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. How to distribute your time and energy among your many important tasks will vary from person to person and from one season of life to another. But our common overall objective is to follow the way of our master, Jesus Christ, and return to the presence of our beloved Father in heaven. This objective must remain constant and consistent, whoever we are and whatever else is happening in our lives. I I just feel like, like these there are some good themes to that. And I think it's something that we can hold on to when we are having these kind of struggles that we've been facing. So Uchtdorf also says that being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not just one of many things we do. The Savior is the motivating power behind all that we do. He's not a rest stop in our journey. He's not a scenic byway or even a major landmark. Balance and lift come as we press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. He goes on about sacrifice and consecration and how those are required for us to continue on our path, that we need to let some things go and let other things grow, which I thought was a nice highlight. And then to close, um, he said, sacrifice and consecration are two heavenly laws that we covenant to obey in the holy temple. These two laws are similar, but not identical. To sacrifice means to give something up in favor of something more valuable. When we consecrate something, we don't leave it to be consumed upon the altar. Rather, we put it to use in the Lord's service. We dedicate it to him and his holy purposes. We receive the talents that the Lord has given us and strive to increase them, manifold, to become even more helpful in building the Lord's kingdom. Very few of us will ever be asked to sacrifice our lives for the Savior, but we are all invited to consecrate our lives to him. So I thought that was nice. I thought that was a good and gentle reminder of 
how we need to be dedicating our time and our hearts to bettering ourselves and the world around us and making sure that we do include Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Parents. The problems that like we have been having like with General Conference and everything, there are still ways for us to find that peace, to find that joy within the gospel that we're looking for. And Uchtdorf gives us some of those possibilities. It's always nice to hear it. An apostle affirmed that. Definitely, yes. So those are our main notes from the speakers of Down Conference. We'll launch into our closing notes, but first we do want to share the temple announcements because that's always fun. Holy moly, 17. Honestly, and I was talking with my family about it. We were just, our thought process is like he just wanted to outdo Hinckley's count. Oh, he's already done that. Like, he's already done that. Just he, he needs to make it such a landmark number of dedicating or announcing so many so no one else can ever win so we're gonna go through the list and we apologize if and when we mispronounce some locations so the first one is wellington new zealand all right then we've got brazzaville in the republic of congo barcelona spain birmingham united kingdom cusco peru Maceo in brazil santos brazil san luis potosi in mexico Mexico City, Benemerito, Mexico. Tampa, Florida. Knoxville, Tennessee. Cleveland, Ohio. Wichita, Kansas. Austin, Texas. Missoula, Montana. Montpelier, Idaho. And Modesto, California. Very nice. Yeah. All right. So into our closing notes, we did want to highlight just a few more basic things about what we noticed in general conference this session. So one thing we did definitely notice was the theme of missionary work. It felt a little forced. I mean, it does come on a semi-regular basis. It's just interesting to note that no one in the current first presidency, though, they didn't serve missions, um, which is very interesting. Really? They were all in the military. Oh, snap. I didn't even make that connection. Yeah, it's just really interesting. <laughs> so, um, and then, and then, of course, the language, as usual, was mostly directed towards men than women. So, as usual, general conference was mostly spoken to men than women. And so, there is some chatter that they've had fewer missionaries going out than usual, or perhaps lower than the count that they wanted. We do know that the church did not grow as much as it was expected last year because they do forecasts and plans and everything. The growth has not been what they expected. And I mean, based on the media that the church has put out or experienced lately, there's really only so much that missionaries can do to fix that. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. It should also be noted that in October 2022, it'll be 10 years since they made the age change no from 18. freaking way. Yep, for 18 what? and 19 year old missionaries. Yep. <sighs> yeah. 10 years. That's when I was Going to the MTC 10 years ago. Oh, I, I remember exactly where I was when I heard that. That's 10 years. Yep, 10 years. So the numbers slowing down should be expected at this point. Also, we're still in a pandemic. So like they could chill on the panic about not having robust missionary numbers currently. But because y'all know how much I love the statistical report every year. Bring it to us. I have some stats. I went as far back as 2016 to see what the full-time missionary numbers were. So 2016, there were 70,946 missionaries. 2017, there were 67,049 missionaries. 2018, there were 65,137 missionaries. 
2019 was 67,021. 2020 was where we see the drop because of the pandemic, where it hit 51,819, which is still a good number, though. Like, it's still considerably high. It's still 15,000 less than the other numbers for the last four years. But you also have to remember that a lot of missionaries either got sent home from their missions and immediately released when the pandemic started, or missionaries who were out already were only allowed to serve in their home countries. There was a period of time where new missionaries were not being sent out or set apart fully. There was a period of time where no calls were going out, but they were like, we'll let you know when we're gonna send you to the MTC. Like, there was still a hold. So, like, that number makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. And then we won't have the 2021 numbers until the May Liahona comes out. Uh, That's where they'll publish the statistical report. Gotta wait a month. But honestly, like, the numbers don't look that bad for me, in my opinion. I don't think they're that bad. If you're comparing them to the 2020 or the 2012 numbers and the 20... 13 numbers like they're terrible but i don't think they're that bad for me personally it's disconcerting whenever they do these huge pushes at general conference for youth to serve missions without addressing specifically the why behind serving a mission other than it's your priesthood duty yeah elder cook and elder idukaitis did a great job of talking about the importance of serving missions while also including specific examples from their own lives about why the choice to serve a mission was so critical for their lives, and then following up with how that choice affected the rest of their lives going forward. They're the only ones that did that. Everyone else just kind of made a blanket statement and then pushed for people to serve missions because it's their priesthood duty. And I feel like when you do that, that puts unnecessary pressure on youth to serve missions. Like, first of all, they're 18 and 19 years old. They're already under immense pressure to choose their life paths with college, work, etc. And now you're pushing them onto a mission when they're not even spiritually prepared. It's going to give you nothing but resentful missionaries who try everything in their power to get sent home early. And I say this as someone who saw multiple people on my own mission do this exact thing because they were pressured to serve a mission out of priesthood duty and did not actually want to serve. Teach youth correct principles. Teach them how to develop a relationship with their heavenly parents. Push them to question and to seek revelation about the truthfulness of the gospel. And then show them how to apply the atonement in their lives. And when they feel that life-changing joy of the gospel, that's when they'll want to share that and serve a mission. And that's why they should be going on a mission. Not because general authorities are pushing people to go out of priesthood duty. Not because it's a cultural taboo if you don't serve a mission. The reason you should be serving a mission is because you love the Savior, you love the gospel, and you want people to feel that love. Period. Amen to all of that. Alright, so if you didn't get the spiritual uplift that you needed from General Conference this weekend, you're not alone. Some of you may feel like us after this month's General Conference. Hollow, a little numb, and rather disappointed. So as we've already mentioned, we were texting each other throughout the entire thing with a few of our other friends as well. Um, during the sessions, sharing our thoughts, feelings, disappointments, frustrations, and so on. 
you know, our feelings are valid. Your feelings are valid. Yeah. We have been very candid about our struggles with the organizational structure of the (laughs) church. Policies. Um, Men. We've been very vocal about this over the last year or so. (laughs) And this weekend definitely didn't help. Um, But a friend of mine from my mission from literally across the world shared this quote on her Instagram while watching Saturday Sessions. And it's from author F. Scott Fitzgerald. And I think that it's something that we can take comfort in while we're processing our feelings and our faith at this time. He said, quote, for what it's worth, it's never too late or in my case, too early to be whoever you want to be. There's no time limit. Stop whenever you want. You can change or stay the same. There are no rules to this thing. We can make the best or the worst of it. I hope you make the best of it, and I hope you see things that startle you. I hope you feel things that you've never felt before. I hope you meet people with a different point of view. I hope you live a life you're proud of. If you find that you're not, I hope you have the courage to start all over again. End quote. I love that so much. This quote has been in my mind for a while since she shared it. Mm Mm-hmm. Please do not take this quote as us telling everyone to leave the church because that's not what I'm trying to say with this quote. I want you all to see that we can choose who we become and how we get there. We can stay in a permanent state of faith crisis, never making a choice which way we want to go because we're afraid of what the consequences of either choice will be. We can stay in a shielded bubble pretending that bigotry and prejudice don't exist in the church or out of the church. We can stay comfortable in our discipleship, not making waves, not speaking up about injustices. We can stay on the path to Jesus Christ knowing that it will be difficult and that we will hurt a lot along the way, but that while we're working overtime with him to make change happen, it will matter and it will happen. We have so many different lanes that we could take. My sincere hope with sharing this quote is that you have the courage that you need to take one of those lanes confidently with the Savior. It may require that you start your life all over again. It may require a very heavy change in your life, but take courage because you will not be alone in that journey. Whatever choice you make with the Savior, the Savior is going to be there with you and he is going to carry you through that choice and help you put the pieces of your life together again so that you can start anew with him. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take a lot of effort and you're going to have to fight against that part of your brain that wants you to slip back to the way that you were and the comfort zone that you were in. But with the Savior, you will be able to do it. I can't add anything to that. So if you guys need to listen to that ever again, go back a few seconds because it's worth hearing time and time again. We owe it to ourselves and to the Savior to be true to who we are, who we want to be, who we need to be. And we do want to just leave you with one final reminder to invite you to consider these talks and to pray about them to know where, what the truth is. Consider God's love, our Heavenly Mother and Heavenly Father, and the relationships that matter most in your family. Personal revelation does exist, and we are invited to ask as often as we desire to learn the truth. Trust in yourself, trust in the Savior, and trust in your Heavenly Parents. And no matter what you do, 
no matter what happens next, things will work out. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us on this rather painful episode. If you made it to the end, thank you. The next two episodes are going to be fun. Yes. And light to recover from we this. Promise. So, so. <laughs> join us next week for something a little lighter and a little happier. But either way, we love you guys and we'll see you all next week. All right. Bye. Bye.